continue on. Uh, we're getting back to Malachi, so I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. It's a little letter, and it's uh, we're going through this. And I'm doing this because, man, it is so relevant. It's so needed today, this message, because the Bible is timeless. It just is. And I love that about Scripture, the timelessness of Scripture. It transcends time. Right, that the principles are sure, the teaching is there because times may change, but we're still the same, and we need this. So sometimes it might seem like I'm being tough on you coming from Scripture. It's not that you. I, I'm not a fighter, man. I'm, I I I don't like to to rock the boat even. But when you're bringing forth the word, sometimes it just does that. I mean, I get convicted by this way before you're convicted. So even if the messages might seem tough and hard, they are. And, but we need that because that's what brings us back to the Lord. That shows the depth of his love for us, that he cares enough to confront us when we go astray. That's what's going on in Malachi. The people were just getting lazy and tired of God and apathetic towards him. So let me read uh, chapter 1, and I'll read the first nine verses, but we're going to focus on verses 6 through 9. So I want you to hear the word of the Lord because it is his word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste the hill, his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will, we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build but I will tear it down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Well, in the reading there this morning, let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Your word, Lord, just pierces the heart, just does you are a great God, Lord, and we know our own hearts all too well. So I pray, Lord God, this morning that you would be with all of us, that we would be given understanding by your spirit, that you would illuminate, that you would enlighten our hearts and minds, that we would be engaged in your word, Lord God, that, that we would be uh, transformed in our lives, being more and more conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us with an eternal love and a great love, love that never fails, that we too may love you, Lord God. 
that we may look to you in all things, in every single circumstance. And that when we are rebuked by you, we will take that to heart and not not react in anger, but react in great humility and, and see our need to change and to be transformed. That we may be more pleasing to you and more helpful to others. So be with me. Help me to bring your word forth clearly, boldly, Lord God, um, that we may learn from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is, Malachi is really about a truly blessed people. Um, God had brought the people that are in Israel now, he probably brought like their great-grandparents, grandparents, and maybe perhaps parents out of captivity, out of Babylon. That's a bad place to be. We don't know what it's like to be in captivity. We're very free people, aren't we? We don't know what it's like to be uh, suppressed and oppressed very much. These people were in captivity for 70 years, and then God brings them back. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You read some of the Psalms about longing to be back into that, that land, that promised land and with the Lord, that freedom that we have in him to worship him. Um, so these people have been brought back out of captivity into the promised land, safe, relative peace around them, prosperity, in a, in a good place, in a good place in, in so many different ways. The temple had been rebuilt, you know, they started the sacrifices again. The priests were doing what they were, well, doing what they were, not necessarily what they were supposed to be doing, but we'll talk about that as we get through the sermon. This, the worship was restored, so these people were back in the land, and yet, and yet, as you read Malachi, you could see where the people were just there's like an unsettled restlessness about them, that they weren't happy with God. There, there's really apathy had set in with these people. Again, basically forgetting how God had delivered them out of captivity, brought them back into the land, is good to them, is giving them what they need, and, and they're just kind of, you know, taking it so much for granted that they're becoming apathetic and cold, kind of as a, a matter-of-fact type of attitude towards God, which is never a good thing. We never want to get to be complacent or just lukewarm. We're so many. That's a tendency. That's Satan loves that because it's nice and subtle to get you in that place where apathy sets in before God. You're not outright rebelling against him. Believe me, there's rebellion going on, but not outwardly. Outwardly, you're still doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You still look good as a Christian. You still come to church. You still do your duties and all those kinds of things. But inside the heart, Something completely different is going on because underneath that apathy, underneath that, you know, just as a matter of fact attitude, that lukewarm attitude, underneath that, there's always, always a resentment towards God in some way. You're just not satisfied with God. He just hasn't met what you believe that you need and he's not working for you as such. And so there's a, there's a disappointment. There's a discontentedness with God in your life. And so, so you're kind of restless in that way because you're not really resting in him, even as his own people. Look at verse 13, just, just, just to back this up. God's rebuking them and they say, but you say, God says, you say, what weariness is this? I'm just weary. You know, one thing after another, Lord, you know, apparently things weren't going the way that these people had hoped even from the earlier prophets that had promised kind of like the Messiah coming, the new age coming. It wasn't there upon them. Things weren't terrible, but they were just kind of in that blah stage with God. By now, 
They were basically going through the motions. That's all. They were just doing what they needed to do, but there was no fire, no zeal in their heart, no no true dedication, no hunger and thirst. We're told to hunger and thirst for righteousness, just to be hungry to know God and understand the privilege that we have in him. That wasn't there. No real appreciation for God, no real dependence upon him. Yeah, he's there, but not really. Do Do you know that feeling? Sometimes we feel that. Sometimes we wrestle with that. As a pastor, sometimes you see that in the broader Christian community and, and comes out in different ways. And and you know what? Two things. It's really sad, number one, and it's also dangerous to have that kind of attitude and that kind of mentality. It's sad when you see people apathetic towards God and kind of almost resenting him and just going through the motions and being so frustrated all the time with the Christian life and with God. It's sad because of what he has done for us and who we are in him and how much he loves you. We're new creatures in Jesus Christ. He's given his life for us. We have that hope of the gospel in our hearts and in our lives. And it's sad when we get to that place with everything that he's given to us, everything that we have, all the privileges, all the rights, how you've been delivered from dark. You know this if you're a Christian. And yet to have that attitude of of like apathy and then underneath that even kind of a resentment going on towards God, that's not what we're called to be. That's what, It's sad in that way. Number one, but number two, it's also dangerous to have that kind of that that kind of spirit and attitude towards the Lord. We place ourselves under his displeasure when we just kind of put God off to the side or we're apathetic or we're just going through the motions. That's not without consequence in our personal lives, in our spiritual lives, but even before the Lord. You can't treat him this way without repercussions. You just can't do that. Little kids just can't ignore their parents. I don't know about the day and age we're living in today, but there was a time when little kids just could not ignore their parents or say, I'm just sick of you, mom and dad, and I don't want anything to do with you without consequences, right? Without without having to answer that. We, we put ourselves in that place, so it's sad and dangerous to be in this place. But that's exactly spiritually where these people were in Ma- It's like I'm talking about today in many ways, isn't it? But that's where these people were at Malachi's time. That's why the word is so timeless. Not content with God. Again, it's a little more subtle because it's not outright rebellion. Remember how the kings would actually go to the high places and offer worship and they were just outright idolaters. Here's a little more subtle because these people kind of on the outward seem to be doing the right things that they're supposed to be doing but their hearts are so far away from the Lord. That's Malachi's. That's why there's, in Malachi's, it's a series, boom, 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 one after another of disputations, of, of confrontations. Malachi is told by God to confront the people with these things. Why? To call them out, for sure. You're God's people and you're living like this, but also, number two, to call them back, to call them back to him. Listen, I'm your God. Remember how I loved you? Remember how you loved me at first? Remember how you couldn't wait to be with me in my word? Remember that? Yeah. What happened? Where are you now? So last time we preached in Malachi, we talked about his love. And we talked about the sovereign love of the sovereign elective love. How have you loved us? I'll tell you how I loved you. I loved you because I chose you before the foundation of the world. That undeserved love, the unattainable love by, from our perspective. We can't attain that love to that love in unfathomable love. We can't understand the depths of how much he truly loves us in his son, Jesus Christ. Here this morning, beginning in verse 6, 
in, uh, to verse 9, he's really addressing the priesthood. Now, he's going to do this even more in, in, this, in the next chapter, and we'll get into that a little deeper. But for right now, understand he addresses the priests directly, but then he also addresses the people indirectly in terms of their offering. How their, what he ta- how their apathy, how their antipathy, and antipathy just means a deep-seated feeling of dislike. When you really can't stand somebody and you just have a real aversion to them, like almost the sight of them makes you sick, that's antipathy. And that's what the people have towards God. And it shows itself. It shows itself in the way they approach God, in the way they, their, their offerings that they bring to God, in their worship of God. They might say different with their lips and their emotions they're going through, but what is in their heart is seen and comes through, even how they treat God, even what they bring to God and, and, and how they, <clears throat> the offerings that they bring to him. Christianity, our faith with God, is always about what's in the heart. And remember, he always sees through our outward attempts, you know, what we mask ourselves, how we try to portray ourselves. He sees right through that. And that's a reminder, man. Every time he sees right to your heart. You understand? You can't fool him. You can get over on me. You can get over on others. You can't get over on God, right? So he wants that pure motivation. He wants that pure heart that we, what we do, we do from that kind of dependence on him and love for him because he loves us. Capiche? That's it. That's a big deal regarding the Christian life. But these people weren't doing that. So in verse 6, he says this. God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am father, then where's my honor? And if I'm master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts. Again, talking to the priest, he says, and it's just real simple, nice analogy. If an earthly father receives honor from his kids, an earthly master receives obedience or fear, how much more, how much more should we honor and fear Almighty God. We fear man more often, and we pay more respect to man more often than we do to God. He must be loved above all else. Understand? More than anything, more than anybody, more in in every single way. That word honor in the Hebrew, chabad, is the the actual word. And it's really a cool word because it means to be heavy with. Something that's very heavy to honor. Something that's very weighty. It's not lighthearted. It's not just skipping along, but it's deep. You, you, you contemplate this kind of, of honor. It's abounding with deep, deep, deep respect and high esteem and gratefulness for God. That's the honor that we need to be showing to him. We do that. How do we honor, honor the Lord? We'll show men honor, but not God at times. And then that fear, morah is the word. And that, that's deep, deep reverence where you're just simply overwhelmed by his presence. You know, like even when an angel would show up, what did the people usually do? Most often, almost every time. (laughs) Just bow down, go on their faces, prostrate before the Lord. They're afraid. I mean, and that is, there's also like, that. this work here is like a visceral fear of God. What would you do if the Lord appeared right now? What do you think? Yeah, (laughs) see? (laughs) Exactly. Be down on our knees. All of us would be on our faces in reverence and fear. That's a word that's being used there. So you you fear your masters. You're you're okay with but me, no, not so much. You see what's going on? See this on all the while they're saying that they love God. But this is the kind of fear that undoes us. So he goes on to say this to the priest. No honor. You don't honor, that's bad because that's disrespectful. That's what it is. You don't respect God. When you don't honor somebody, you know, you you like turn your back on them. 
You're kind of short with them. You don't give them your full attention. You're not honoring them because you really don't like You're kind of disrespecting them in that way. But there's no fear. That's just bold and willful. Like I don't even, I'm not even going to, I'm not even afraid of you. What can you do to me, God? So, so these, these, listen, what's wrong with these things? God is talking to his people, but these are actually characteristics of people who are unbelievers. This is what we were like before we really believed God. Oh, we showed a little bit of surface honor to the Lord, but knowing him, how much should we honor him and how deeply should we fear him? These things that he's talking about right now are characteristic of unbelievers. That's where these people were. And that's where so many, so many of us may be as Christians today. We don't honor him as we should. We don't fear him as we ought to. So, so Romans 1, verses 1 and 22a, talking of unbelievers, although they knew God because they're created in his image, because of what he's made, they did not what? They didn't honor him as God. Unbelievers do not honor God as God because they don't truly know him. All right? They might give lip service to a degree. Many don't even care. <clears throat> they don't honor him as God or they give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and foolish and foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools. Psalm 14.1 tells us this. The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. See, that's bold. That's what the fool says. The unbeliever says, there is no God. I'm my own God. I, you know, I'm not going to even take him into account. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Then Psalm 36.1 tells us this. Transgressions speak to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. See, that's characteristic of unbelievers, man. That should not be characteristic of us. And yet, these people Malachi's day, they weren't showing honor. You honor that person? Where's my honor? You fear that person? Where's the fear of the Lord? He begins with the priesthood. Again, he talks about them now. He also talks about them later. Why does he begin with the priests? He says, priest, you despise my name, but you say, and look at the audacity of the priest, man. Look at the pushback that they give. This shows in a way how far gone they are. Instead of being humbled and saying, okay, you're right, I'm convicted. What do they say? How have we despised your name? Prove it. Show me. What do you mean? I'm doing what I need to be doing. How have I done this? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? Do you see the pushback? Do you see the audacity of the priesthood, the, the, the ones who should be leading the people? Instead, they're pushing back. That's not good. Because they needed to keep and they needed to maintain the standard of God. They needed to be the model and examples to the people of godliness. They needed to mediate and protect the things of God. You can't bring such offerings to the Lord. What do you, you want me to offer that to the Lord on your behalf? Are you kidding me? Here's what you need. And then they need to be straightened out spiritually. Look, a godly leader, and we're going to talk more about this again as we get into the next chapter, but just a few things. If you're writing these down, four things I'm going to tell you. There are more, but at least these four a leader must possess these qualities. Number one, and these priests didn't. You need a deep sense of personal piety and integrity in the Lord. A deep, your leaders, your priests, your pastors need a deep sense of integrity and, and personal piety in the Lord. You could tell that these, the priests here didn't have it. They couldn't care less. They were just doing whatever the people wanted them to do. There's no personal piety. They're offering whatever the people brought them. There's no real reverence. So that's a reflection of your own personal relationship with the Lord. If your pastor's not on his knees and in the word, you guys are in big trouble because a lot of times we influence you on, on many different levels. Number two, they need to be deeply concerned with holiness, the holiness of God. 
purity of doctrine, worship, and life. All these things. There needs to be leaders that are concerned about God's holiness, that he's a holy God. He's not just your buddy. He's not just your friend. He's not just your pal. He's not the big guy up there. He is almighty God, and he is holy and set apart, and there is no other God. I alone am God, holy and just, set apart in that way above all. He needs to understand that and communicate that. Number three, he needs a zeal and boldness for the things of God. He can't be a man pleaser. Obviously, these priests were just pleasing the people. They were doing whatever the people wanted them to do. They were taking these offerings and just bringing them, kind of going through the motions. And number four, he must care deeply for the people of God. These priests obviously didn't because they were letting them get away with the sin that they were committing against God while they, them, while they themselves were committing the same sin. See, it's a broken system right there and right in that way. That's not those who represent God and to lead God, God's people in his way. They had no knowledge. We don't have knowledge. You're going to lack authority. And there's going to be compromise. You'll tolerate all kinds of evil. You'll promote and even indulge in all kinds of sin. And that's what's going on. You can even see it today. Transcends time. Happened back then. Happening today. So many pastors are in it for themselves. They're in it for their ministry. They're in it for their, you know, namesake or whatever else. They're They're not in it for the church. And they're not in it for Christ and for his people. And so they're going to do and say what they need to do and say in order to maintain, in order to be accepted. They're not going to necessarily tell you what the truth is so you won't be convicted. Why? Because if you're convicted, you might leave, and that's not good for them. Do you understand? It's a big deal, and it's going on today. That's why so many pastors entertain their flock instead of preach to their flock and teach their flock. They feel good, right? Pithy little sayings, pithy platitudes instead of sound doctrine. Coping mechanisms. Well, here's what you need to do. This, this, and this. Coping mechanisms rather than aiming for a transformed heart through the gospel of Christ. That's where real change takes place. Right? Yes, praise God. But they despised his name. You despise me, he said, you priest. You're up there. You're in your garb. You're doing what you're doing. But you don't love me. You hate me. Why? Because of what you're offering. What you're allowed to be to bring in before me. That word polluted. That's a strong word. That's a strong, strong word. Offer polluted food. That's through and through, that it's disgusting through and through, that it's defiled, that it's, that it's rotten to the core, that it's shameful, that it's disgusting. You should be embarrassed to even offer it and angry with those who are bringing that kind of thing to the Lord if you're a priest and you're protecting God and you really love those people. Right? You could say what you want. You can go through the motions. But what you actually do comes through to the Lord. I can tell the Lord I love you. And I can offer. Come with an offering. This is nice, isn't it? This is a nice offering. It's a nice orange. It's really cold because it was my car all night. But it is nice. And if I bring it with my heart unto the Lord as an offering, that's okay. I love you, Lord. And this is what I have for you. I love you, Lord, but this is what I have for you. Take that. Yes, do you see that reaction? That's good. All right? I love you, Lord. Here's what I'm offering you. You take that and enjoy it. You see? Y'all see this? It's going to, like, fall apart in my hand. You want this? I see Gemma's face going, oh, no. How much do I love you? if I'm going to bring an offering like this to you. That's what they were doing. Oh, we love you, God. Here you go. 
That's why he says, get it away from me. That's why he says in other places, your, your offerings are a stench to my mouth. Did you get rid of that that was on the board? Did you see that? That's another thing. I love you, God. Here's my offer. This is for the people at home, especially, because you didn't see the actual banana that I brought out here. But you understand? That's, that's what we're getting at. That's, that's the heart. That's polluted. That's defiled. And yet they were bringing that. And that's what he's saying. You are bringing polluted food upon my altar. How we polluted that. The Lord's table. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? Do you see that? That's a rhetorical question. That's a rhetorical question. Is it not evil? Of course it's evil. It's not just wrong, but it's malicious. It's not just a mistake, but it's willful. And that's what's in the heart. And that's what he's addressing to the people. And that's what you need to search your own heart. Am I there? Am I like these people? Because these were the people of God. These weren't like the enemy coming in from the outside. These are the ones that he brought back into the land. So there's a breakdown. Much like today, among the leaders. Those who most of all need to exemplify Christ and honor God. Again, more to come on the priest. Now I'm going to transition and talk about the people because... He's talking explicitly to the priest, but implicitly to the people. Why? Because it's the people that's bringing their offering. They're bringing the offering to the priest in order to be offered. So now it comes back to, to you, really, to, to us as the people of God. People aren't off the hook. They're the ones that are bringing the offering. I love you, God. Here you go. What? Jesus said in Matthew fifteen eighteen. And you want to be careful. This penal people honor me with their lips. That's easy to do for us, isn't it? We can honor God with our lips, but our hearts could be miles away from him. You could be here in body, but your spirit's a million miles away. Let me ask you the question, and this is what's going to hit home, I hope, for all of us. What, are you, what offering are you bringing before the Lord? What offering are you bringing before the Lord? What are, what are you giving to him? And, and even... Along with that, how are you offering? What quality are you bringing and in what spirit are you bringing? That, that's an indication of where your relationship is and where your heart is before the Lord. These people were miles away, right? Now, of course, we don't bring actual fruit offerings. We don't bring animal sacrifices. We don't do that. You know, we could tell, uh, like, your relationship with the Lord if you actually brought in, like, a lame animal. Oh, this is for God and stuff. You know, we could see that. We don't do that these days, obviously, but there's more. It's more than that. You yourself, you are to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. We are to bring ourselves to the altar of God and give ourselves to him. Romans 12, 2 says this. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. What's that mean? David tells us in Psalm 51, verse 17, he tells us, Yes, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's how we're going to come before the Lord. That's what he wants from us. Give yourself to him completely. Now, these people back then should have done the same thing. The offering was just an outward kind of example of what the inward heart should be like, right? But all along, we need to be giving ourselves unto the Lord. 
And that's the difference. Giving ourselves into the Lord is the difference. And here's how you could tell where your standing is or where your heart may be even right now. It's the difference between mere duty. And that's what these people were doing. They were doing their duty, right? They were do- The difference between mere duty and a deep, deep desire to please him because of what he has done for you out of gratitude for the Lord. And you're done playing games and you're serious about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and giving yourself to him. Understand? When you're in the Lord and when you're offering yourself and giving yourself to him, there's a difference in the Christian life, even in the things that you do and the way that you do them from the heart. Anybody could read the scripture. There's a difference between reading scripture and actually being in the word. Do you know what I mean? You could read scripture all day long. Oh, I read five chapters. Where'd you read five chapters? I read the first five chapters of Roman. Well, what'd you learn? Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I don't know. I just read five chapters though. You could be in the word or you could be reading the word, but not in the word. Do you understand? That's a big deal. That's the difference between mere duty. Well, I'm following my reading plan and I'm catching it, but I don't even know what I read. I can't tell you five minutes after I read it what it actually means or what I read. That's a difference between duty and that desire to truly please him from a renewed heart because of what he's done for us. There's a difference between just praying and being on your knees in prayer. Do you know what I mean? We could pray and we could dutifully pray just because we need to and we're supposed to do that. But when you're on your knees, spiritually speaking, you know how dependent, that's dependent prayer. That's praying without ceasing. That's that's showing the Lord that I am yours and I need you. So there's a difference between just doing your duty and actually doing it from a heart that's been transformed. you understand? That's a big deal because that's what matters to the Lord, that it's coming from here because you realize who he is and who you are in him. That's it. But we always fight against that. We're always tempted to go the other way or, or just to you know, get kind of tired with this and we're not going to do this anymore. And it becomes apathet- we become apathetic in that way and then even resentful. So there's a difference. There's a duty of coming to church. You could be in church every week and yet not be worshiping God. You understand? There's a difference between just coming to church and worshiping God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You understand? You could be here in body. Some of you just are. But you're miles away in your mind and in your heart. And you can't wait to get out because it's almost lunchtime. Right? You got to be careful about that. Because you're not getting over on me. It's the, it's, it's the Lord who, who looks at the heart. Give yourself. Engage. Feel the conviction. Know the comfort. Be of one mind with the Lord. Understand? This is the difference. Have, having to do certain things versus getting to do certain things. That's a big deal in the Christian life if we're following Christ. When you have to do things, because I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to do certain things. I have to do my duty. I am going to do this. But you know how cold that is? You're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing, but there's nothing behind it, man. It's just mere duty. There's no love behind that. So even if you're making a meal, well, I'll make a meal for somebody. There's a difference between just making a meal and making a meal with love. You know, when when somebody makes that meal with love, they just put the best ingredients and the best thing in there, and you love it, and you know that. Do you understand? That's a big deal, and it's a big deal to the Lord, and it makes all the difference. It's the willingness to give and to keep on giving of yourself, your time, your talent, your gifts, your resources to the building up of God's people and to the glory of God. That's what that is. That's the difference. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts. He wanted their hearts, but their hearts were far away from them and it showed up in the way they were doing life and showed up in what they were bringing before God and saying, here you go, God. I'm going to give you this, but you're not going to get this. 
And that's why it's sad, what's sad and dangerous. It's more than just a mere duty. Just because you have to, just because you're supposed to, just because it's expected of you. That's what leads to what's going on here in Malachi. When that, when that's all it is. I just, well, I guess we have to do this, you know, because we are God's people. We need to do this. We're going to be dutiful in this. That leads to what's happening in Malachi in regards to the state of their heart. There's always a progression. There's always a progression that ends up where the people of Malachi end up. Five things very quickly that bring us here. And we need to be careful of this as Christians. Number one, we can end up where the people of Malachi are in their spirit when we lose sight of his absolute sovereignty. They lost sight of the absolute sovereignty of God. His purpose, his plan, his decree is being worked out. He is in absolute control. When you don't believe that, and if you don't believe that, then you start to tend to go towards this way. You know what? God brought us here a hundred years ago, over a hundred still the things, they're okay, but they're not what they should be, not what the other prophets said they would be. Is God really in control? That's that. That's something that's going to knock you down. That's going to when you start questioning God's sovereignty and His providence, that you're heading for trouble in that way. When, but when you know that God is God and His plan is being worked out, and have confidence in that, then you're like David, right? In that way, you have that confidence in the Lord. He's my God. Who are you? I know. I know my God lives. Right. The sovereignty of God. Number two, when we downplay His holiness. And righteousness, that he is holy. He's holy God. He's majestic God. He's righteous God. You don't mess around with him. You don't bring him down to your level like so many people are doing today. We, we understand how majestic and set apart and holy and righteous that he is. Number three, when we fail to appreciate the grace of God, just how deep God's, when you don't realize the depth of God's grace, just how bad and sinful and how undeserving you really are and how good and wonderful and gracious he truly is, when you lose sight of that grace, when you think you're a little bit good, when you think you're okay, when you think, you know, I'm all right, I'm not as bad as, you don't appreciate the grace of God in your life. And when you lose a, the, that appreciation for the grace of God, then God becomes less than to you. Because I'm pretty okay too. God's just helping me out. Instead of seeing yourself for what you truly are and who he truly is, and he's bestowed that grace upon you. And when that's in your heart, you never grow cold. You never grow weary. And God doesn't become burdensome to you. Number four, you refuse to live your life before the eyes of God. Um, the word is quorum deo. That means before his face. Sometimes we live our lives like God doesn't see what we're doing. We just go about doing our own thing, what makes us happy, and then we'll give God his time over here. You have to understand that everything, like 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, and everything you do, do to the glory of God. We live before the face of God as Christians, right? And we want to please him in every way. We understand that. So whatever we do, say, and think, we know it's before his face. People kind of live their lives hiding from God. And even Christians who profess God, they still do what they want to do in their own little way. Thinking that God doesn't see. Thinking that God's not going to care. Thinking he's going to give you a pass on that. We live our lives, quorum Deo, before the face of God. And then finally in our worship, number five, you know you're losing sight of God when you worship him as you please. I'm going to bring what I want. I'm bringing my offering to you, and you're just going to accept it because you're a loving God. No, we bring what he prescribes. We worship him the way he 
tells us to worship him in his word. We don't deviate from that. We don't worship him in ways that just make us feel all good and cheery, but it's like all wrong theologically and it doesn't do any honor and give God any glory, but it makes us feel good because we're doing this and saying this and, you know, no, no. We worship him not as we please, not as we see fit, but as he prescribed. That's why we come with fear and reverence. That's the difference between being man-centered and pleasing to God in our worship. Understand? That's how far, that's how we get taken away from the Lord. That's where these people were. That's why they're offering up these things before God. And they could come in that way. Well, what's the hope? As we close out this morning, very quickly, verse 9, there's always that light, there's always that hope because he's such a gracious God. So look at verse 9. He says this. Here's the hope. And now entreat favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show any favor to you? says the Lord of hosts. He's not going to show favor with what you're bringing him now. So what do you need to do? He says you need to entreat the Lord. That word is so powerful, and it means to, to cry out to God, to call upon God with, with, a, with a heart of repentance, with desperation, with, with need. That word, when he says entreat, that, that really finds its root meaning and core meaning when somebody's afflicted with a very severe illness. What do you do when you're so sick and you're you're there? Like, you know, I, my life could be... You cry out to God, don't you? You pray to God with desperation. You don't hold back. That's the idea here. It has that idea of affliction, illness, crying out to God with all sincerity. He says, you entreat the Lord. That's the hope. You go back and confess that his favor... He says, entreat the Lord, entreat the favor of God. That word for favor means acceptance of God or forgiveness in God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and accept us as righteous and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, I should say. But that favor is being accepted by God. So we entreat him desperately and earnestly. We seek his favor that he may be gracious. Again, that word gracious means to, it's a really cool word because it means to bend or to stoop down in kindness to an inferior, to somebody who doesn't deserve it at all. But yet I'm going to do it, and that's exactly what God does. That's that grace that we've talked about a little bit earlier. To bend or stoop down in kindness to an inferior, to one who's unworthy, to have pity and mercy on the undeserving. Right? Because the way you're doing it now, he's saying, it's not working. It's not gonna, this isn't going to last if you keep bringing these kinds of sacrifices before the Lord because it betrays what's in your heart. So they needed to, and you need to, we all need to, make it our purpose today. If, if this means anything to you, if you're convicted in the slightest about what you've heard this morning, to confess your sin, to come clean to the Lord. Say, Lord, please take away this apathy that's in my heart or the resentment that I might be hiding, or that bitterness that's in there, and, and resolve today, right now, to love him as you ought to. To love him the way that he loves you. And what he's, what he's done to demonstrate that love in his son, Jesus Christ. To bring us near to him. And when we love him in that way, with sincerity, that does bring honor and glory to his name, and we are to glorify him. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, what kind of offering are you bringing to the Lord in your life? What kind is it? Only you can answer that before you and God. 
pray that it would be that offering that's acceptable to him, that's from the heart, that's sincere, that realizes who he is and who you are in him.